0: We are currently uh, teaching through a series from the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, which is, uh, I think, just such a rich um, uh, source of truth and wisdom about the gospel and about how we live in the light of it. And um, so we're continuing that series. The series is called Learning Grace, Learning How to Live in Grace. Uh, I don't know if you remember, there was an ad going back a long time, a song, uh, the song I Want to Break Free. Does anyone know that song, I Want to Break Free? And there was an ad going back about a long time ago now, but somehow I think it's stuck in my mind and certainly the mind of a lot of people at the 9 o'clock service, where there was this guy on a bus. It was a cross-lotto ad, right? And the guy's won the lotto, and the music's playing, I Want to Break Free. And he's obviously just found out that he's won the lotto. So he's on this bus trip, and he's, uh, he drives straight past the people at the bus stop, doesn't stop, and he continues... Past them, past the next lot, up into the hills and off into the sunset. He's breaking free of all his responsibilities. Anyone remember that ad? Okay, lots of people. Oops. And um, I think that song captures something about Western culture and its understanding of freedom. There is a longing that exists. For freedom and there's probably a uh, most people would imagine a fair likelihood that the way to achieve that is to win the lotto and be materially financially free to do what you want when you want any old time Uh, or as the old song goes another way of of doing it back in the 60s was to drop out and and get the get the combi van and go on the hippie trail across uh, Southeast Asia And I'm thinking of another song, um, do what you want to do, be what you want to be, freedom. There's something in the human heart that longs for freedom. But what is the path to true freedom? That's what we're exploring today. I remember when I finished school, the the very last day, last year 12 exam, I walked out of the exam hall and it was like, yes, freedom! And uh, and it was until I started uni and... uh, Uni was pretty free, I must say, till like, I had to sit my first exams and then I realised you were meant to do study and uh, a few supplementary exams later and, and continued on and, and uh, uni's pretty free, but then, of course, you, you graduate uh, into a job and you start work and then you take on other responsibilities and you, uh, in my case, uh, get married and have children and... and uh, other responsibilities come, in a mortgage, and uh, freedom maybe feels a bit different, um, but how do we find our way to freedom? And what is true freedom? And where does faith fit into that? If you were to ask uh, someone who's not a follower of Jesus, maybe someone who's not in any way religious today, and you were to say to them, what is the relationship between Christianity and Freedom i suspect that they would say they've got no relationship at all or in fact christianity is is a removal of freedom that to be a christian is to take away freedom it's the opposite it's oil and water the two don't go together mutually exclusive concepts that christianity is about following a bunch of rules and regulations so it takes people who could be free and brings them into a position where they are because of their following of that faith not free. I reckon that's, my guess is that's the modern view of religion and Christianity in Australia. Would you agree with me? I, I think that's, that would be fair. But what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about freedom and I'm just going to read a couple of verses before we get into our main passage. In Luke chapter 4 verse 18, when Jesus, Jesus gave His very first sermon, His very first public message, He quoted Isaiah saying this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, to proclaim freedom for the captive, recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. The word that is repeated there, the word that the reason He came is for freedom. 2 Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Spirit... Now the Lord, the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Or even more well known, John 8, 36, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. Ephesians 3, 12, In Him, that's Christ, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with Freedom. And confidence. Scripture reveals that the freedom that we so greatly desire, the freedom that all people so greatly desire, has been won at great cost on the cross of Calvary. And the question is not uh, if you're a believer, do you have you have you do you know that freedom? The question is, are you living in that freedom? And that's what this morning's message is all about. I've got in this habit strange habit of of giving my sermons really long sermon titles at the moment and i'm really excited to do that so this morning's message is called living in the freedom christ has won for us and resisting those who want want to put us back in chains (laughs) so let's read from colossians chapter 2 verse 6 right through to verse 23 quite a a long passage says this so then just, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive with hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and el- the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such A person goes into great detail about what they've seen but they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as god causes it to grow since you died with christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So this passage contains three key things. Firstly, it teaches us how we have been set free uh, by Christ. It teaches us how we've been set free by Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing is it then instructs us how to live in that freedom, how to live in that freedom. And the third thing it does is it warns us of three things or three kinds of people who can come along and potentially steal from us the freedom That has been won by Christ. That's the three elements of this message. So let me start with the first one. How has Jesus set us free? Or if you're hearing this message you're not a Christian or not yet a believer, if you've never trusted in Jesus, the question for you would be how can Jesus set you free? How can Jesus set you free? That you might know true freedom. If we go to verse 9, it starts to explain this. Firstly, it makes two incredible statements about Jesus. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So the first statement is to say that in Christ, all the fullness of God actually lives in Him. Jesus isn't some man, uh, He is a man, but He's not just a man, He's not even a great man, not even an extraordinary man, not even the greatest man who ever lived. But actually, in him, the fullness of God lives. Jesus, to understand who he is, is God with us. He is is God in human flesh coming into the world to reveal God by by bringing God into the world, by being him. Secondly, it says in verse 10, um, he is the head over every power and authority. Now this is really interesting because uh, in our world there are lots of different powers and authorities. There are physical or political powers and authorities. Like just recently there was a very significant election that a lot of us have been interested in reading about in the news, right? The, the Queensland election. Um, and, uh, and we've been following that and we've also been following the US election. And people are very very worried, very interested understandably, about who's going to win, and who should win, and who shouldn't. and uh, But something to remember in that, this scripture reveals that above any political regime, Christ is actually head over it. He's actually the head over and above all authorities and powers in this world. But not only that, uh, not any political or physical uh, powers and authorities, He's actually the head over and above any spiritual powers and authorities. So the Bible says there are spiritual powers and principalities in this world, but Jesus is the head and above and over all of them. So freedom is going to come from whom? Well, from Him. So how has He won our freedom? Well, it gives two examples. And the first one is talking about circumcision. And I'll just put my hand up here and say that talking about circumcision is not really something I'm that excited about talking about in church, okay? Okay. It's not really my usual topic of conversation. But the example is actually really important because to the Jewish people, circumcision is at the absolute centre of their identity. A Jewish boy would be circumcised on the eighth day and that would, say, uh, that would be the indicator or the symbol that he was part of God's people. And uh, so it's really important. Circumcision, as a, as a kind of analogy or, or a metaphor, well, circumcision is like the removal of skin and once it's been removed it's it's removed right it's it's completely removed and in the same way it's saying well in the same way forgiveness through Jesus is the removal of not of skin but of sin once Jesus has removed it and done away with it it's not coming back it is done away with you are forgiven and that forgiveness is complete it's a completed work the second illustration that that is used in verse 12 is baptism It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. So baptism, it's saying, is is this powerful symbol, a second symbol of what what Jesus has done to win our freedom, in that our old self goes into the water and symbolically is washed clean, but an even more powerful symbol as we go into the water. It's a symbol actually of death, of dying to sin, and then we rise to a new life, and the new life we rise to is a life in which we are reconciled with God, we are redeemed, we are holy in His sight, we are blameless in His sight—not by our goodness, but by God's grace. We're raised to this new life. Uh, what a wonderful thing! And this is uh, this is what it's saying—the conclusion of the matter, verse thirteen to fifteen: When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, not some of them, not most of them, not almost all of them, all of them. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness. It's as though there was this legal charge, if you imagine, of all our sins through all time that have been <coughs> that are there written on this, on this legal charge and He has nailed that to the cross In bodily forms, as he he bore our sin, as his hands were nailed to the cross, our legal, uh, the charge against us was nailed to the cross and he has done away with it and he has dealt with it on the cross and having uh, taken away, now to us, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's a great passage. On the cross, Jesus has won freedom from the power of sin, freedom from death and judgment, freedom from any spiritual force, powers and principalities, freedom from hopelessness, freedom from meaninglessness, freedom from despair, freedom from self-centeredness, freedom from the need to judge others or worry about what others think of you and freedom from fear. Whether we live in the fullness of that freedom is another question but that is the freedom Christ has won for us. On the cross if the son sets you free you are free indeed so that's the first part the second part of the passage is we get instructed in how we should live in that freedom and the image that's given uh, is is best explained in verse six and seven it says just as you receive christ jesus as lord continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The, the freedom that we have is a is not a physical freedom or, or a material freedom as the world would imagine. You know, get rich enough and then you can be free. True freedom is a spiritual thing. True freedom is to live in Christ. This passage talks about living in Christ. I mean, that's a, if you actually think about that, that's a strange concept. To live in Jesus. And only a few verses earlier in this in this same letter it says that. Uh, The mystery of God is Christ in us. So there's a picture of Christ living in us and us living in Christ. Clearly that's not a physical thing, Jesus doesn't somehow physically live in us, but it's a deeply spiritual thing. Our freedom comes when the chains are broken and then we live in Christ. And you can almost use the the image of a house as a a metaphor here, because it says, uh, rooted and built up in Him, like a house, uh, some friends of mine bought a house and they discovered it was on a sloping block that had been levelled out and it turned out it had a lot of uh, fill um, that had been that had been put there and so actually then they had to dig down really deep and dig these really deep foundations that, that went right down deep into the solid ground and then they had to build and make sure their foundations were firm. So what it's saying is if we're going to live in Jesus, what do we need to do? We're got to keep... Digging and making sure our foundations are strong, our foundations of knowledge of His Word and knowledge of the Gospel, and then it says we should be uh, we should be built up, we should be built up in Him, and it's kind of a picture of like if you've got a house and you think your house is strong, but then maybe you continue to think about how you might continue to build it up, so you continue to make it even stronger. And it goes on to say, and, and then strengthened in the faith. You go, okay, I'm now going to nail in some extra nails here and there and, and, and bolt down the roof even more strongly. You know, can you, if you imagine that you had time that there was a huge cyclone coming and then you're like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to maybe board up the windows and, and prepare the house so it's even stronger. And so as Christians, we should be striving to continue to grow in our faith to plant really deep roots and to strengthen our faith in the knowledge of Jesus. You see, sometimes I hear uh, people who, um, they come to church and they say, it's not about us now, it's just about our kids. It's it's not really about us now, it's about our kids. Well, it is about your kids. It's great to bring your kids to grow up in the knowledge of Jesus. But let me tell you, it's still about you. It's still about you. Because you don't reach some point where you got it all figured out and you can stop learning and stop growing and stop continuing to just press in for the gospel. Like I've got a, you know, as part of being a pastor, I've got a a graduate degree in ministry and I've got a, a graduate diploma in ministry on top of that and I open up the Word this week and I discover I'm still learning, I'm still growing, I'm still building the house and I'm still strengthening the foundations and that is so important. So how do we grow in grace? Well, we live in Jesus and we seek to continue to grow in Him. Thirdly, though, uh, and this is really the key part of this passage, it talks about three things or three kinds of people who might want to come and will come and will try and take us out of the freedom that we're in and it's almost as though like you're standing there free and there's people that are going to come, come with some chains and they're going to kind of try to wrap them around you again. And without you even realising it, there's people who will actually ensnare you in chains again. So who are the three people, kinds of people that will do that? Firstly, let's look at verse 8. It says, See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, uh, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Philosophy is an interesting thing. Anyone who's studied philosophy will know that. And uh, someone said about philosophy, that philosophy is like a blind man looking in a dark room for a black cat that isn't there. (laughs) Um, This passage isn't saying you should never study philosophy or that philosophy is bad in terms of the modern study of philosophy, but what it is saying is that there are going to be people who are constantly putting out teaching and philosophies that are going to be very attractive and that people will be drawn to. And you've only got to go into a bookstore these days and look around and you will see there are all sorts of philosophies out there and they are immensely popular and attractive. People are reaching out, longing for a philosophy to give them guidance in life. But it is inevitably a philosophy that, as verse 8 says, depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces, which is to say it's based not in Christ but in something else. Uh, not only is there is there kind of all sorts of stuff out there in the world that within the world there is also all sorts of kind of false teaching and sometimes i don't know if you come across the televangelists in america and you hear some of their stuff and their practices and you look at them and you go how could anyone believe that stuff and follow these people and give to these people but they do i'll see the tele in a youtube clip and someone a a reporter cornered him and said how come you've just gone and bought another Gulfstream jet for 50 million dollars or something like that and he starts to explain you know how through through scripture how it can be justified in having another Gulfstream jet man I haven't even got my first Gulfstream jet yet (laughs) Uh, but people do believe that and people give millions and millions and millions of dollars to false teachers But a lot of false teaching is far more subtle than that. And it's available through podcasts, through books, through all sorts of means. Now, we've got to be very careful because it's very easy to also go and denounce this teacher or that teacher as a false teacher. And some people, if you look on the internet, they denounce basically everyone who doesn't believe exactly what they do. So how do we then measure this? How do we work this out? To work out what's false and what's not false? Well, it's very simple. To quote a former pastor... Of our church, you've actually just got to use your brain. (laughs) God's given you a brain, use it. And you've got to discern. You've got to go back to the Word of God and say, how does this weigh up against the Word of God? Uh, And that's the ultimate because even what what I teach you, I would say to you, don't just take it all for granted. If you go back to the Word and find that it's not uh, reflective of what the Word's saying and you go, this doesn't even fit, then come and talk to me. And, and we'll see if we can work that through. You shouldn't just take what I say for granted or anyone who teaches. So that, that's the first thing. People are going to disqualify you by leading you astray and taking you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Second thing is uh, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or what, what religious rituals you practice or do not practice. Now, you might say this is a strange one because all these things that are described here are things that... People don't judge you on in this day and age. Things like religious festivals or new moon celebration, Sabbath days, what you eat or what you, what you drink or what you don't do. But again, this is uh, very important here for the readers of this time because this is going to Jewish people and Gentile people. And what was happening in this time is this. The Jewish people came out of a tradition where they observed lots of religious practices and festivals and uh, had food regulations that they followed And so there were Gentile believers who were saying, hey, we are free in Christ, you don't need to do that anymore, and they were judging them because of that. But at the same time, some of the Jewish people were saying, no, you should still be practicing this, and so they're judging the people for not following the religious, uh, the rituals and the food practices. And this passage comes along and says this about all of that, if I find it in verse 16, it says, "Don't, don't let anyone judge you, these Practices are a shadow of the things that were to come, but the reality, however, is found in Christ. And you know, as a, as a religion, Christianity is actually not very religious. It's not very religious. Most religions have the statements about you must do this, you must do that, you must do that. If anyone understands Islam, five very clear pillars of Islam, you must once in your life go on a, um, a pilgrimage to Mecca, if, you, if you're able to, you must uh, obviously pray five times a day facing East. It's got very clear, you must observe the um, uh, the Ramadan. Ramadan season, and lots of religions. Uh, do you know, re- Christianity is free from all of that. It's free from all of that. You don't even need to come to church on a Sunday. But the question is, not what do you have to do? The question becomes what's beneficial? What's beneficial? So it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, I have the right to do everything you say. but Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And that's the key. The question is, uh, what, is what is actually beneficial and what is helpful? But don't let anyone judge you saying, you, you must do this or you must do that, because what people do is they add to the gospel. It becomes salvation by grace plus giving 10% of your salary every week. Salvation by grace, but you must also um, speak in tongues. Salvation by grace, but you must also do this and do that and do that. So it's not really salvation by grace at all. It's salvation by works. Here's the third one. Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen and they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. I'd describe it this way. Do not let anyone who acts like they are super spiritual lead you astray by leading you away from the pure gospel. Because there's people out there and you're kind of living your life and you're going, I'm just living my normal christian life and i'm following jesus but then there's this other person oh my goodness they are next level christian you know they've got all this stuff going on it's very exciting it's stuff i've never heard of and they're seeing stuff and they're experiencing stuff and oh my goodness how pathetic is my own expression of faith right and they go into great detail about all these wonderful amazing experiences they've had and you're just almost in awe of them like wow And this is just a warning. Yes, there are visions and there are all sorts of spiritual things that people can experience and I'm not against that. But be very careful about those who actually have this kind of thing where they need to describe all the amazing things that they're doing all the time. I think there's a danger in that and again, be very discerning about them. Let me conclude by saying simply this. Christ Jesus has won your freedom if you have put your faith in him. When the sun sets you free, you are free indeed, free from judgment, free from the need to judge, free from condemnation, free from fear, free from hatred, free from self-righteousness, free from hopelessness, free from the need to worry, the power of sin, free from ultimately from death because we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. What a waste it would be to allow anything to cut in on your walk or to lead anything let anything lead you away from living in grace or if you've never accepted jesus to allow yourself to be in chains hoping one day you can achieve material wealth that will allow you to be free or retire and be free or or whatever it is freedom is not a material thing it's not found in a physical things it's not found in anything other than the work of christ Which spiritually breaks away every chain and allows us to walk in the beauty and majesty and wonder of relationship with Jesus, which is true freedom. Jesus invites you this morning back into that relationship just to know the wonderful love of God. That's it. We can make Christianity so complex. It is to know and follow Jesus, to know and live in His love, to know His forgiveness. It is a wonderful freedom. May you know that freedom this morning. May the Son, who has set you free, help you to experience true freedom. Amen.